This is a Ticket to Work podcast. Ticket to Work is an initiative of National Disability Services. We believe every young person has the right to employment in their community. Our role is to ensure all young Australians with disability have the opportunity to exercise that right. Hello, I'm Henry Newton, Senior Policy Officer at National Disability Services, and I'm here to talk today about the new report from SVA Consulting entitled Ticket to Work, Valuation of Key Outcomes. In keeping with the times, we have a virtual studio set up uh, and are connecting with our guests via teleconference in the comfort of their own homes. I want to begin by acknowledging the impact of COVID-19 and the uncertain times that everyone is currently navigating. In the midst of these challenges, it is worth taking time to discuss some good news. And as previous independent research has testified, Ticket to Work has shown how young people with disability can successfully transition into open employment with the right support. On the other side of this current crisis, Kickstarting the labour market will be the top priority for the Australian government. For young people with disability, this new report by SVA Consulting, Ticket to Work, Valuation of Key Outcomes, suggests a clear way forward. Its findings indicate that there is every chance of success if we prepare now for the post-COVID-19 recovery. And today I am talking with studio guests Michelle Wakeford, National Manager of the Ticket to Work Initiative, and Mitch Adams from Social Ventures Australia. Welcome, Michelle and Mitch, to the virtual studio. Thanks, Henry. It's great to be here. Thanks, Henry. Good to be here. Uh, glad to have you. Um, now, Michelle, can you please uh, begin by telling us a bit about Ticket to Work and what has been achieved? Ah, yeah, more than happy to share our journey with Ticket to Work. Uh, Ticket to Work was born out of data that that showed that young people with disabilities weren't transitioning from uh, school to to work effectively. And what we found was that looking at some of the international experience that there was a lot that we could do to improve um, outcomes. So we set off uh, about gathering what had worked from the evidence base and to implement that in the Australian context. So what we're, our, our mission is to improve school to work transition. Our particular focus is a collaborative approach, so bringing together uh, disability specific and mainstream representatives of different sectors to work together and making sure that students uh, get um, experiences that positively influence themselves as workers and have opportunities for work experience um, while still at school. To date, we've had over 1,640 young people into employment. We have uh, local networks which use that collaborative approach and we've got 34 of them operating uh, across Australia. And they've been able to engage with over 200 schools um, and over 2,000 employers that have been supporting young people with disabilities in their workplace. So it's it's been a great journey um, to, to get to this point and we're really quite excited about the, the possibilities of putting the learnings from the, that evidence into practice. Fantastic. That's um that's great to hear and I'm sure, you know, on, on a lot of people's minds is how and we're going to get into that um, in a little bit. But first, Mitch, are you able to tell us a little bit about Social Ventures Australia? Yeah, absolutely. So Social Ventures Australia is a not-for-profit. We've been operating for about 18 years now and we work with partners like National Disability Services to uh, alleviate social disadvantage in a variety of different ways. 
So the sort of part of the business that I work for is consulting. We do lots of great things. So we provide consulting services to government, corporates and not-for-profits that are focused on alleviating disadvantage. So we do things like measuring impact or helping organisations um, settle on operational efficiencies, um, working on mergers and those sorts of things as well. Another thing we're sort of known for is pioneering innovative investment mechanisms like impact investing, an example of which is the investment fund we recently opened to invest in specialist disability accommodation. Fantastic. So it sounds like there's a lot going on there and um, a lot of it, it makes sense for you to get together with Ticket to Work. And I understand that now is, is a particularly critical time to increase employment outcomes for young people with disability. We know that the NDIS has set a significant employment target to reach by 2023. Michelle, are you able to tell us about that target and, and also the implications of this new research has in terms of the ability to meet that target? Yeah, thanks, Henry. Yeah, it was brilliant to see the the investment and the commitment to employment for people with disabilities with the NDIS Minister Stuart Robert releasing the first ever NDIS um, participant employment strategy. And within that strategy, there were targets. So 30% of uh, all NDIS participants in working age uh, to be in paid employment by uh, 2023. Um, so, you know, we've, we've got less than, than three years. For us, it's, you know, what we've learnt through our journey of Ticket to Work is that it's vital that young people get opportunities while still at school, that they have the opportunities to do things like work experience, to engage with employers, do things like after-school work, so that they're building their capacity to, to, to move on to employment. So we think to, to get that 30%, um, that there is a, a need to focus on that younger age group to move them into employment, particularly as a lot of longitudinal studies have shown that young people with significant disabilities, if they don't engage with the labour market, you know, uh, from, you know, by that age 21, it's quite unlikely that they will. Um, so there, there is... Um, something really special about focusing on that transition point to make sure that those young peoples have a, a trajectory into employment um, for, for the rest of their lives. We did some longitudinal studies and looking at ticket to work outcomes for young people and showing that they can thrive in open employment through supported or coordinated approach. So for, for us, that's really important. And one of the things that we wanted to do was to show that it, it wasn't a a huge financial investment by government to make that happen and that's why we partnered with SBA Consulting to look at what what the the cost would be and how government could implement. So yeah that that was our you know we're really keen to make sure that that ticket to work participants or all, all young people with disabilities have opportunities and that that we can make sure that evidence-based practice is being implemented in Australia. Fantastic. And I think, you know, looking at the report, some of the things about investment, it seems like there, is, there are some suggestions that we may in fact be able to save some government investment in the long term as well. So uh, in terms of speaking of this new research, Mitch, would you be able to talk us through um, the approach that SVA took and, and maybe some of the key findings as well? Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, Michelle sort of hinted at some of those key findings around the, the impact that these programs had, right? Like we're seeing um, people being twice as likely to finish year 12, four times as likely to be employed um, and much more likely to participate in social activities. 
And where that information comes from is an evaluation of um, of ticket to work that was conducted last year. And I might just pause a second to sort of explain where those numbers come from because it'll be important for us to understand as we go along. So the evaluation that ARTD did was to take the approach of looking at the data that's already out there in the community. So and there's a couple of really big data sets, the Survey of Disability, Aging and Caring and the Household Income and Labour Dynamics in Australia survey. So these are huge surveys that ask a lot of people questions in quite a lot of detail about their lives. So what they were able to do is just extract um, information about the um, lives of people with disability in a similar age cohort and with a, a similar set of disabilities to the people who are involved in Ticket to Work and then understand what life looked like for those people and then ask the same questions to a sample of Ticket to Work participants to see what life looks like for those Ticket to Work participants. And by comparing those two answers, it gives you a sort of a difference between what's business as usual in Australia and what are the outcomes for Ticket to Work participants. And so that's that's the sort of, that's the source of the of this, of our understanding that, that people are much more likely to sort of see employment outcomes or to finish year 12 to feel much more confident about their work skills. So what we did was to, to build off those findings to say, okay, if you have that, that sample of people and we know that you know, you're more likely to finish year 12, what does that mean for you as a person? What does that mean for society? If we scale up that, that sort of sample to all 3,200 people who participated in Ticket to Work, what impact does it have on their lives? And we sort of started by mapping out, okay, what are all the different impacts on the lives of individuals and what are all the different impacts on all the different government programs that are around to support people with disability and how can we understand what the valuation of those are? And we sort of came out with three big buckets of outcomes. The first is social outcomes. So um, these are things like, you know, the self-confidence and sense of independence that you get um, from participating in work. The other side of it is, is you know, uh, the presence of people with disability in the community, right? Like we know that um, people with disability have much lower rates of um, participation in the in the economy. So something like 48% of people with disability uh, are in the, in the labour force compared to 79% in the general population. So those are the sort of social outcomes. And there are ways to put a value, a dollar value on these, but we chose not to do that in the end because we were really uh, focused on the economic benefits. So we sort of noted those important social outcomes, but we've chosen not to value them. Important to note, though, that, that a lot of researchers found that these social outcomes are at least as valuable to, to people as the economic outcomes, like as those dollar values. So if you were to, um, to put a dollar value on it, it would be really significant. We've just chosen not to in this case. So the second bucket is, is the sort of economic benefits for individuals. What we know is that ticket-to-work um, participants are much more likely to get a job and that job is much more likely to be in open employment. And so you're going to see um, you know, higher rates of pay because you're in open employment rather than disability-supported employment, as well as you know, just uh, higher rates of, of, of working. And so you earn more money um, is, is, is the key outcome there. And not only do you earn more money, but there's a lot of research to say that carers of people with disability who are um, relieved to some of their caring responsibilities do tend to go back to work and, and work a bit more. And so there are some economic outcomes for carers as well. The final bucket of benefits is the sort of financial um, benefits for government. So in particular, you've got you know, tax revenue from all that extra income that's being earned, as well as reductions in uh, the government's obligations to pay uh, income support. So things like disability support pension and the youth allowance drop out off a little bit as, as people earn a little bit more money as well as there are a range of programs specific to people with disability, things like disability employment support and the disability employment assistance programs. So when you add all of these things together, you end up with a, um, a total value of about $27,000 worth of benefits over the course of three years. 
about $16,000 of that benefit accrues to the participant or, or their carer in terms of increased income, and about $11,000 of that benefit accrues to government, which you know, comes in the form of reduction in income support payments and various other government programs. Now, we sort of acknowledge that this isn't an exact science. Um, we are, there's, there's, it's necessary to make a lot of assumptions when, when you go through this process. And, you know, you're sort of scaling up from a sample of 57 participants to estimate what the benefits are for 3,200 participants. So there's always a bit of uncertainty in that. So the approach that we took to this valuation is to be as sort of conservative and reasonable as we possibly could. So wherever we have made an assumption, we've documented it to make it sort of open and transparent, but also to just err on the side of conservatism. And so one example of that is just choosing not to value some of those social outcomes that are really important, but we just don't have a a really um, strong sense of what the value should be. And so we've just chosen to leave that aside for the time being. The other way that's manifested itself is to only look at evaluation over a three-year period. As Michelle mentioned, a lot of the benefits to individuals of participating in a a program like this will um, accrue throughout the lifetime, right? If you get a job straight out of school, there's a lot of research to say that that will impact um, your ability to get your next job and the one after that and the one after that. And so there's these lifelong impacts. And there's a lot of research around to sort of value what those lifelong impacts are. But with our sort of conservative posture, we chose to to value it over a three-year period, which is about the period where we were getting survey survey responses um, from. And and that makes us reasonably confident that the results that we're reporting are uh, as robust and accurate as, as they can be. Okay. Uh, thanks, Mitch. That's fascinating. And it sounds like, you know, taking that uh, conservative approach, it seems like is perhaps the best way to ensure that people from government and others reading it are insured about the fact that it's it's pretty watertight by the sound of things. You alluded to there to a couple of things about the social and economic outcomes. Um, I want to bring Michelle in here. Mitch did talk about some some outcomes for people with disability. Are you able to talk about them as a little a little bit as well, Michelle? And I'm also interested in about uh, the outcomes for their carers as well. Yeah, I think you know that that what Mitch has done is brilliant from a, a numbers point of view. But you know, one of the things that we're really quite excited about is hearing from those stakeholders around what it's meant for them. So we've gone through a process of also doing some research and talking to parents and employers and young people in school to get their feelings about, you know, having that opportunity to participate while at school in employment and career development and and what that's meant to them. And the overwhelming positivity, I think, you know, being a parent, you know, hearing from parents talking about how they've got hope and that they're they've just have always been told to have low expectations of their child that employment wouldn't be on their horizon and to look at other options. So to hear parents talk about that experience and being so positive about their students and their sons and daughters transition from from school is brilliant. And and I think the same from the young people who have been really wonderful in expressing what it means to them to you know be excited about their their futures and to be excited about what their lives will be that they can start to look for the future and start to look at what their lives will be as adults as they go through that that really vital transition from being a teenager to being an adult so you know for me you know hearing those stories has been you know amazing so when we did interview parents, 95% you know, saw that their child had really increased their confidence 
and 100% of them said that they really felt that they were really positive about their child's future, their employment opportunities. So that was brilliant to hear. And also hearing from employers that they've all of a sudden got a really productive young person that's really keen to be in employment and that is contributing to the bottom line of that business. So that was a really positive as well. Some of the the data that that Mitch did allude to is that those ticket-to-work participants that we were able to survey were nearly 50% more likely to complete their education. So even though ticket-to-work, that wasn't our objective to look at increasing Year 12 completion rates, we were really pleased to see that obviously students that had those opportunities to explore employment had a better connection to education and could see the benefits of education. Those things that Mitch alluded to, that social participation and quality of life and well-being was not something that we started looking at, but to see that is brilliant. And, you know, that they're four times more likely to be in work than young people that haven't had those opportunities to explore employment while they're still a student. So for us, it's been really heartening to hear from all the people that have been involved and hearing what it meant for them and also seeing, you know, some of the data that's coming out. So, yeah, for for us it's been an exciting journey to just see what a little bit of intervention can mean to the lives of young people and their family and employers. Uh, Thank you, Michelle. That's really interesting and I think sometimes when we talk about these things the um, talking about the numbers can obscure the experience from an individual's point of view and you know some of those things are sometimes a little bit more difficult to measure but um, I think it's a good it's a reminder the purpose uh, in the first place Uh, in, in terms of some of those things that are perhaps a little bit easier to measure I'm interested to hear from both of you about the economic outcomes for the government and also Uh, the benefits to the NDIS. Are you able to each speak to those? Thanks, Henry. I think from our perspective that, you know, that early intervention approach, so making sure that students, you know, from age 14 are being supported in that transition period, there's a, a great deal of evidence out there from other countries as well as what we've done in Australia that it is key to have that early intervention approach for the benefits for the NDIS is if they're looking at that target and, you know, looking at improving employment opportunities for people with disabilities, getting that transition right is vital to increase those opportunities for all people with disabilities. And we're, we're quite confident that the research we've done and the modelling we've done and the numbers that we've got, that it's ticket to work model is quite a practical but also a cost-effective way forward. So it's not, we're not saying it's a complete answer, but I think there's some real learnings that can be had by government around, well, what do we need to improve to ensure that people with disabilities have opportunities to participate in employment? Mitch, anything to add there? Yeah, absolutely. I might just sort of take the opportunity to talk talk in numbers, I, I guess, a little bit just to say. So from the government's point of view, there's just a, a range of ways in which Ticket to Work sort of reduces expenditure. And so there's some really obvious ways, right? So we know that people who participate in Ticket to Work are more likely to be employed in open employment as opposed to uh, in disability-supported employment. And so that drives outcomes for the government in two different ways. First, it increases the amount of money that people with disability are earning 
through higher wages in the open employment sector compared to the disability supported employment sector. So typical wage in disability supported employment is like $5.61, whereas a typical wage for a young person in open employment might be around $14.50 or something like that. And so you can see that there's just a, a huge increase in tax revenue as a result of increasing those incomes. And that also applies to the increased incomes for their carers who are able to return to work. But it also reduces things like uh, youth allowance and disability support pensions. As people increase their incomes, they're, they're able to make um, small reductions in the amount that they're drawing on disability support pension and youth allowance. But there's also a range of other program costs as well that the government's able to, to save. Because we're seeing so many more people in uh, open employment workplaces as opposed to supported uh, workplaces, there's a significant reduction in disability employment assistance grants that we've observed as a result of just having fewer people in, in supported employment. So disability employment assistant grants dropped by about $4,100 per participant on average, and that's just as a result of more people moving out of supported employment and moving into uh, the open workplace. A couple of area, other areas where you would expect to see um, changes is around um, disability employment support costs. So there's sort of two dynamics here. On the one hand, you have disability employment support costs are probably going to go up a little bit just because there's so many more people in the workforce, right? So you see four times more people in uh, open employment compared to compared to the sort of business as usual case. And so as people are more likely to be employed, they're more likely to need some supports in the open work to find it and keep a job. But at the same time, we see a decrease in those supports because ticket-to-work participants tend to be staying in their jobs for a longer period of time. And um, this manifests itself in the period of support that ticket-to-work participants are in. So about 71% of them are in the ongoing support phase of disability employment support compared to just 8% of, um, of all disability employment support recipients. So that's a really huge change. In comparison, only 7% of ticket-to-work participants are in, the, in that sort of early intensive employment assistance phase compared to 64% of all disability employment supports. And so that's quite a remarkable outcome and it does does flow on to reduced expenditure on these programs by government. Interesting. So it sounds like there's a range of advantages, economic and otherwise, and you know, part of that is building the person's capacity and part of that is also more taxpayers paying more tax, which, you know, is a good from the point of view of government. Now so I understand that now is a critical time to increase employment outcomes for young people with disability, and the NDIS has set a significant employment target uh, to reach by 2023. Michelle, can you tell us about the target um, and also the implications um, this new research has on the ability to meet that target? Yes, the NDIS participant strategy is looking at increasing employment with NDIS participants by 30% by 2023, so in, in less than three years. Currently looking at the data that we've been able to find is that around 18% of young NDIS participants are in employment. So effectively, we need to nearly double the amount of young people into employment to get that target. When we're looking at Ticket to Work, we've found that Ticket to Work participants are four times more likely to be in open employment than young people that haven't had those opportunities at school. So we think it's vital that young people get opportunities while at school to build their employment opportunities and have career development to make sure that they have those opportunities post-school. So with that finding, we think it's, it's vital that the NDIS 
participant strategy is looking at making sure that those young people have those opportunities because we've shown that it can increase the participation in open employment post-school. To add to that, we're ready and willing to take on that challenge. You know, some of the work that Mitch has done um, and some of the other research is to show if we were to scale up or if Ticket to Work model was implemented across Australia, that would very much significantly uh, achieve the 30% target of the NDIS participants' employment strategy. Um, So we're really, really keen to kind of be part of that conversation and uh, be part of that solution. Yeah, thank you, Michelle. And you're right to identify, I think, um, you know, in the current climate with a lot of people facing unemployment and a lot of them for the first time, if we can divert any people, people with disability, certainly included in that from unemployment, then uh, that seems to be certainly the right direction. So I can understand there would be appeal there from multiple points of view, including from government. Uh, Now, Mitch, did you have anything further to add here? Yeah, I guess just to emphasise what an opportunity this represents for both people with disability and society more broadly. If we're able to activate that workforce, as Michelle has identified, not only does it mean that those people are earning more money, right? So our sort of modelling indicates that your average income for a participant in Ticket to Work jumps from $17,600 a year to $21,300 a year, right? And, and that makes a really significant difference to your own life. But it also reduces the cost for government at the same time. And so it's, it's really an, an opportunity to, to sort of realise all those financial and social benefits at the same time as we're sort of reducing long-term government expenditure. Yeah, great. And I dare say that government will be looking to reduce costs wherever they can, given the amount of expenditure they've put towards the COVID-19 pandemic. Michelle, it's always important to look at the numbers and the kind of economic impact, and especially from you know a government point of view or something like an insurance scheme, that always makes sense. But it's also extremely important to remember the the actual people who are involved and the recipients of these processes. Um, do you have some some stories you could share with us of some of the young people who have been involved and what that has looked like in terms of the impact on their lives? Yeah, sure, Henry. A lot of examples come to mind. We've been running a pilot looking at making sure that young people have opportunities for after-school work And at the moment, we've been exploring that. So one of the young people that we've been working with is Danielle, and she had the opportunity to take on an after-school job um, at a a surf shop. Um, And she is a very vivacious young lady and very into the, the surf and skate culture. And so this is the perfect opportunity for her to be able to do what most young people get the opportunity to do, having that job while you're still at school, that after-school job that most people have had that opportunity to achieve. So not only is she working in her kind of dream job as her after-school job, um, you know, she's getting paid, which is really exciting for her, um, and she gets discount on all the latest surf gear. So, you know, she is just flourishing in the opportunity that that has opened up to to her. And before that, she was really struggling in that kind of, you know, being in school and being, you know, having a disability meant that often she didn't feel like she fitted in. So having that opportunity has been really amazing for her and her employers just adore her. So it's, it's great to see her flourishing. One of the other young people that we recently 
had was on the ABC Breakfast News was Jack, who's been working at a nursery. So Jack started in a school-based apprenticeship while he was still at his special school. And he got the opportunity to do some variety of work experience. So he really started to explore about, you know, who he was and what he wanted to do. And he very quickly determined what he didn't want to do, which was to work inside. So one of the things that Jack, you know, loves is being outside and being active. So Jack got a school-based apprenticeship where he was working two days a week and three days at school. And his apprenticeship was being accredited to his senior school certificate. So for Jack, it was just that he could start his career while at school. He could explore things. He could learn about himself. And then he could, you know, make that move to employment post-school. So Jack started his school-based apprenticeship. His employer was really happy with his work and his commitment and kept him on past that apprenticeship. And he's still in the workplace four years later. And he just, you know, beautifully says that what it's meant for him, it means that he's not, you know, sitting on the couch playing Xbox. It means he's got meaning in his life and he's earning money and doing what everyone else gets to do. So, you know, there, there is some really lovely stories about young people that have had those opportunities and made the most of those opportunities. Yeah, thanks, Michelle. And I think those are some fantastic stories and a reminder as well of the benefits of employment that, you know, a lot of people enjoy. It's sometimes easy to forget and they can be as simple as, you know, having a reason to leave the house every day. So thank you for that. That's that's almost all we have time for. Finally, Michelle, how can people access this research? Uh, so it's on our website as well as our other research. So if you head to tickettowork.org.au. If you go to the research section, you'll find Mitch's research as well as our other pieces of research. Thank you very much. Well, I'd like to thank both of you, um, Michelle and Mitch, for being part of the discussion and joining me in this virtual studio in quite um, strange times. So thank you to you both. Pleasure to be here. Thanks. Thanks, Henry. Thanks very much. I'm Henry Newton. Thank you for listening. <laughs>